All right, everybody, talk about it outdoors live in the Wilson studio for episode 17. It's been a fun week, and we're really excited to get this saga underway that we're about to join in on. Uh, for everybody for tuning in, and uh, can't wait to introduce this guy that we've got coming on with us tonight. I'm running a running a little short here. My I, my my co-host across from us over here ain't with us tonight. Nick Owadi's laid out on us, and uh, he's having some health issues, but that's okay. We'll he'll be back with us soon enough, I'm sure. I'm glad to be here tonight. Have you had a Have you got a good day? I got a good day. I got a little raspy voice, but we'll work through it. Yeah, I got raspy Ricky over here. Uncle <laughs> Uncle Ricky's with me tonight. He's a little raspy, but that's okay. You can still hear him good. Yeah, it, it's not like you ever really talk over me much anyway. No, no. I don't know why I'm nervous. I feel a little <laughs> nervous tonight. I guess having such a such a star studded guest as we've got here with us tonight, and I'm I'm going to drop right into it. I'm not going to waste any time. Let's do so it. let's do it. Um, state deer biologist. Uh, Charlie Kilmaster is on with us, and uh, Charlie, we can't thank you enough for coming on. And uh, how you doing today? I'm doing great. I don't know if I'd say star studded, man. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> well, judging by this uh, this bio that that Nick sent over to me, uh, it's a it's a pretty extensive, uh, I guess, track record you've had with the with the Department of Natural Resources in the state of Georgia. And uh, just for everybody out there that don't know who Charlie is, Charlie uh, grew up in Coweta County, Georgia. And he was born with an intense love of the outdoors. Um, he went to ABAC, and uh, then he completed a Bachelor of Science and a Master's degree in Wildlife Management and Ecology at the state of Georgia. Um, Charlie conducted a project uh, about the overabundance of the deer population at Red Top Mountain State Park, which led to, I guess, the, um, the, the taking of game on state parks and quota hunts there. So that's a big thing. I, I enjoy hunting on state parks myself, Charlie, so I'll thank you firsthand for doing that. Um, how many years actually have you been with the, the Department of Natural Resources? I just hit my midpoint this year, 15 years. 15. So I've been the state deer biologist for 14, about 14 and a half of those 15 years. Now, when you say state deer biologist, that, that doesn't just, uh, I guess, funnel you into one area, does it? That means you're over the whole state as far as other biologists, or is it just your area? Yeah, so here's, I, I don't supervise most of our other biologists we have various regions that have their own uh, structure what i do as a state deer biologist is i coordinate our data collection and disease surveillance and use that to inform mostly the regulations and stuff on private lands the other biologists uh, collect data from private lands and wma and they're more in charge of setting the regulations for the individual wmas that they're over so it's I don't really supervise them. I do supervise their deer management assistance program biologists, but they are very deer specific and implementing a private land deer management program. Okay, and and reading over your bio here, it looks like you've done a lot of research into the investigation of the deer decline in the Appalachian region of Georgia. And for anyone out there that doesn't know, could you kind of show where that line is or tell where that line is as far as Appalachia or is it the whole state? Well, no, we're mainly talking about the, the uh, Chattahoochee National Forest. Um, it's, a, it's a big segment of national forest land, biggest segment in the state. Um, and we, there's, a, there's a habitat issue. There's disease issues. There's predation issues. There's all these things wrapped up together that have caused a pretty substantial decline in the deer population. And um, it's, uh, I wouldn't say I'm really doing the research because I, I've 
you know, worked on trying to, to help solve the problem. But, you know, our colleagues over at the University of Georgia, we contract with them to do the actual field work and the research. So I kind of I kind of help advise on what questions, what research questions we need to answer. But we, we generally contract that at the physical research work out to them. How, how long, Charlie, has this been um, a study going on? We're about three years into the project. And um, we've uh, we've had a couple of master students that are finishing up, and then uh, one PhD student that's uh, in the process of writing his dissertation right now. So they are the stars of that research. Those graduate students are do, who do the real work out there. Well, Cody and I, that he's not on with us tonight, but we we spent um, a majority of our youth hunting on Chattahoochee National Forest, and over the last few years, it has become. Uh, it's become apparent in a big way that the number of deer that we don't see there anymore. And what always fascinated me was how little deer you would see it on the Chattahoochee National Forest track, but you could go to Dawson Forest, which really isn't that far in geographical territory distance-wise. Do You would see a lot of deer on Dawson Forest. So is it is it something that's just limited, or is that something that's spreading to the other areas um, that are up there? Well... It, a lot of that has to do with land ownership. Uh, Chattahoochee National Forest is owned by uh, the, the USDA Forest Service. Okay. And they have had a number of issues really trying to get beneficial timber management work off the ground. Um, they're, because they're a federal agency, they're subjected to a lot more issues than we are with, uh, with state-owned areas or areas that we lease. You know, Dawson Forest is not part of that uh that national forest so um you know timber management is a big thing and what we've seen over the last probably 30 years is timber harvest has precipitously declined um for a variety of factors and we over that course of that 30 years we've seen the canopy close and you know what i tell people all the time when i'm going around and doing private lands deer management work is deer habitat is made by putting sunlight on the ground. Um, obviously, to you know, you don't want to mow every tree out there and, and turn it into a field, but you're not going to grow deer food. You're not going to grow deer cover with a closed canopy forest. And you guys do do a lot of private work for individuals that hire you out, correct, Charlie? Yes, our deer management assistance program is available to all private landowners, uh, leaseholders, if you've got a hunting club. You can um, you can schedule an appointment with one of our biologists and um, have have us come out and do a site visit and ride around the property. If you want to participate in the program, we can uh, write a management plan for the property and get you on a on a uh, annual kind of um, renewal on that program, where we give you annual harvest recommendations based off the data that you collect, and we analyze those the the data for you and come up with a you know, recommended recommended number of deer to, to take. When you when you see those deer numbers declining on those national forests like Chattahoochee, does that does that play a factor in um, how the number of deer days you or the hunting days are um, as far as bow season and gun season or when the dates may end or start? It does, especially with respect to antlerless deer. Obviously, the females are the driver in the population. Uh, bucks are far more expendable. So, um, even, 
uh, even if you've got a fairly low population of bucks, most all of the does are going to get bred in in most any circumstance. So we really focus on on those antlerless deer, the does um, that uh, to drive that population. We last regulation cycle we shut down antlerless harvest on the Chattahoochee National Forest east of I seventy five. Uh, it is buck only. Whether you're hunting with a bow during bow season or a rifle or a muzzleloader. There is no, uh, there is no legal antlerless deer harvest on Chattahoochee National Forest or the WMAs on the National Forest on the east side of I-75. Yeah, and I got a little story to tell you on that, Charlie. The first year that was implemented, I, I don't know if you remember, the regulations, uh, it, it kind of was misworded where under the, um, under the actual, uh, map showing what count or what wma had uh, doe days it still listed there was open doe day uh and there were only three actually for that first year when y'all implemented that or started that program and it set it in a separate part of the regulations and i actually i'm gonna tell on myself here i took a doe and we actually talked to a warden in the park that day and he's like alex and i know him he said alex he said you know, that's yesterday wasn't a doe day. There's only three doe days up here. And I was like, oh, my God, I, I didn't even see it in the regulations. We went through it, and he showed me where it was at in the back of the book. And he's, he wrote me a warning because he said it's not worded in there correctly. He said, but from, from now on, you need to be careful and read that whole book. And so ever <laughs> since then, I stopped talking a little bit more and started reading a lot through the whole regulation book. So for everybody out there, take it as a sign. Read your whole regulation book front to back because things change year <laughs> to year. Well, and I'll tell you what, it's a, it is a massive production each year to put that book together. And there, as, as hard as we try, we always make some mistakes here and there. And it's, it's unfortunately unavoidable. You know, our, our regulations are pretty complex. Hunting regulations in general are complex. And with that level of complexity, it just, you, you're going to have more mistakes. And one of the things that I've been trying to do in my, over the course of my career is simplify regulations to make it easier on folks to avoid issues like that without compromising, you know, the resource without, without losing population numbers we want to simplify things as much as possible to make it easier yeah and you going into that you know i try to tune in on the you know the facebook program when you guys go live uh, i believe last week there was a live episode where they went through some new regulations which i'd like for you to go over some of those tonight but it was having some major technical difficulties and of course, we're younger guys. I mean, we're in our 30s, and even people that are younger than us, the social media platform is a driver for, you know, most all of the news that we get anymore, and that's for anyone from young to old. And is that something that the, the Department of Natural Resources is working towards more, putting more information out there on those social media platforms as far as changes? Yeah, well, um, you know, we have a social media coordinator position, so we try to put out as much information as possible and link back to our, our website. Um, you know, we get most of our comments, even though we still do hold public meetings in person, we actually get most of our comments through emails. Um, and so it's a lot of people have transitioned over to that electronic stuff, but we have relied pretty heavily on um you know, our, our, our social media pages to 
to, to share that information and link to that information. Sometimes that's not necessarily the best format to get some of that out. And yes, I know I've done uh, a, a number of things where we've attempted to do a, like a Facebook live. And um, I don't know, it seems like we always have some sort of technical issues. I don't know if it's the volume of people that are, uh, that are getting on, on there. Um, but uh, yeah, we, we're, we're trying to get more of that, uh, more of that out there in that format. Can, can you go over a few of those headlines that they talked about last week during the, during the live stream? Yeah. So we're looking at our, our big changes and I don't want to spoil it too much because I, I think Nick said y'all were, uh, y'all were wanting to get our, uh, turkey biologist on, but we're looking at some potential options. Uh, you know, we're still in the process of form, forming regulations. So those things that you saw are ideas that we're putting out to solicit public comment on and, and see what the hunters want to do. But we're, we're, you know, a lot of places across the state and, and really across the Southeast have seen substantial declines in the turkey population. And we've been doing some research, working with UGA on some research on that. And while there are a multitude of factors that are affecting that turkey decline, there's only a handful of them we can actually address from a regulatory perspective. So, you know, we can only really control on private land what we uh, win and how many hunters take and what deer, what's, you know, what gender or what sex of deer they take. So some of the options that we're looking at are reducing the turkey bag limit. Um, and either limiting one gobbler for the first 10 days of the season or even postponing the first part of the season till later to get that opening of the season a lot closer to the pink uh, incubation period for turkeys. So we've, we've discovered through that research that hunter activity and calling especially really impacts gobbling activity. And by impacting gobbling activity, we're really disrupting the breeding activity for turkeys so it's uh it's spread out the nesting period making them more susceptible to predators you may have heard this thing called predator swamping in reference to deer and coyotes and uh you know the the thought is derives from african plains game where you have they're kind of geared genetically to drop all their offspring at one time to kind of swamp the predators so that more of the off offspring survive you know and if your breeding period and your your kind of uh, your period of when all your poults are being hatched out of eggs is extended over a much longer period of time then they're going to be more susceptible to predation by as a result of that than if they were all born in a very finite window yeah i agree with that i i, I like the change i like moving the turkey down I'm a, I'm a big turkey hunter and, and i like moving it out to a later date if that if that's what they want and and i think it would yeah. help um because a lot of turkeys do get shot early season and um there's still not much cover out there and i know there's the predators like you said are a big impact on them too so um i don't mind that because i know a lot of other states um do the same thing they don't open their turkey season a lot of them till april too so yeah and as nick said i mean i, I know with the we're going to get the the turkey biologist on and and i want to stay more in in the wheelhouse that that you're involved mostly in and and going off of what you said with the uh, predation 
what is the biggest predation as far as uh, predators go in the state of Georgia when it comes to deer? Is it still a coyote or is it bobcat or what? What are y'all seeing the most as far as your research there? Oh, coyotes hands down. They um, they are uh, aside from humans. Humans are the number one predator of deer, hands down by a long shot. Um, and then coyote predation of fawns. Um, is going to be uh, a, the biggest factor across the entire state. When you look north to our fall mortality in, in Appalachia, it was coyote predation followed by bear predation, followed by feral dog predation, followed by bobcat predation. Wow, that's I interesting. I think I got that right um, on the on the feral dogs <clears throat> and bobcats. Bobcats, you know, they're they're you know, found throughout the state and they take some deer here and there. They even take some young adult deer. Uh, there's definitely plenty of trail cam evidence of that. But in every mortality study that we've ever done in the state, they're just never a significant predator of deer. It takes a really big bobcat to to uh, to really go after a, a larger size deer. But they, they don't tend to key in on fawns as much as uh, as much as coyotes do. Do the feral hogs do the feral hogs mess with them much, Charlie? You know, we found nothing uh, related to a direct predation events. I, I'm sure you've seen a picture of a feral. There, there's been a number of pictures that floated around the internet of a feral hog running around with a half a fawn hanging out of its <laughs> yeah, mouth. Yeah, yeah. And uh, we just don't see it. I mean, you know, when we do these more, this is how we do these mortality investigations. We capture pregnant does. So we'd go out this time of year and uh, and either shoot a rocket net or a dart gun or something like that. We capture and immobilize uh, adult females that are pregnant, and we use a VIT, which is called a vaginal implant transmitter. So this transmitter goes in there, and it stays in there until she gives birth to the fawn, and it comes out, and it changes temperature when it reaches the air, and that tells us that the fawns have been born. The researchers go in and they put collars on the fawns and then we monitor those collars for mortality. It can tell if there's movement, if that fawn's moving around. Once that collar sits still for a little while, it tells them that the, that the fawn's probably dead. So then they go in, find the kill site if it's a predation event or abandonment. That happens sometimes too. And look at, uh, do a full necropsy on it to see, you know, what the hemorrhaging is like, what tooth marks are like. And then finally, they're going to swab it all over for DNA and see what, uh, using the culmination of all that information to figure out what actually killed that that fawn. And a lot of times, we can even tell the difference in what animal killed it, and then later an animal came along and scavenged on it after the fact. Wow, and we just don't neat. see hogs in any of that. That's definitely some some uh, advanced science going into you know <laughs> pinpointing it from from what I would have thought it would have been. Um, now, with the increase in, I would I would say, predator hunting. Predator hunting has become prominent in our region of Georgia in the last few years, tenfold. I mean, I remember five five years ago even will go. There was nobody into predator hunting, and now with the advancements in the thermal and the night vision technology that we have now, and it's made it more affordable for people to get out and hunt, it's become a, a big market. 
Have you seen a decrease in the number of coyotes that are out there since that, you know, in the last, say, five years, or has it, you know, pretty much remained stagnant? Um, you know, I would say things are fairly stable. The problem with coyotes is we don't have a lot of points of data collection. I mean, you think about it with deer, we have requirements for hunters to report their deer harvest. We do annual hunter surveys, and we we collect data from deer coolers. Well, you know, we don't have all those mechanisms in place to collect information about coyotes. So really, we only have two places we do incidental take while deer hunting. So we survey deer hunters and, you know, how many coyotes did you see or kill while you were deer hunting? And then we have our trapper survey. And we only have like, we've got less than a thousand trappers in the whole state. So we're just not, you know, it's hard to, to really determine, you know, what that population is doing. We know it's increased substantially since the 1990s. But as far as kind of detecting a, a change as a result of, a, say, an increase in predator hunting activity, if, even if it were there, I don't know that we would be able to detect that much of a difference. Um, I can tell you this, though. We've uh, done extensive work with uh, GPS collars and coyotes. In fact, we did a, a three-state study where we collared coyotes across from Alabama to Georgia to South Carolina, and they die. They have a... <laughs> They have a habit of getting killed pretty quick, and they but they have high reproductive rates, and that's why they're such a problem. So we, uh, you know, coyote populations can sustain annual mortality rates of like 60 to 75 percent. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, and so, you know, it's just one of those things. It's uh, we're... You know, we, we've got to manage them, but we, we're not, we're not getting rid of coyotes. We, we've, we've got to learn to, to manage around them and work with them on the landscape because there is no eradication of them. So in Illinois, Charlie, we, me and Alex hunt up, um, do some deer hunting in Illinois. And when you call a, when you call a deer in up there that you've taken, you do it online. And one of the things mm -hmm. is, is they ask you a couple questions. How many bobcats have you seen in the area? How many turkeys? Is that something that they've kind of, that, Maybe Georgia's thought about implementing them as far as coyotes to see what the numbers is and, and see if we need to put more regulations on maybe shooting some or doing a um, bounty program. A bounty program. Well, here's the thing. Um, we, we have removed about all the barriers you could remove without negatively impacting other species right. from, you know, from a regulatory perspective on, on coyotes. There's no, uh, there's there, pretty there's, much no rules <laughs> with it right, when it comes to right. taking a coat. Right. So it's not about having the data to justify that. I, I can tell you this. We, the, the question of bounties has come up year of years and years and years. And, uh, in all of history, every, uh, all the bounties that have been put in place are just, uh, for, for coyotes, they, they are a gigantic money pit. And they they don't end up yielding any results. I can see um, that. Let's say, um, you know, you you don't have a, a if you do the numbers, if you crunch the numbers, we've estimated. I don't know it. It's hard to get an actual estimate because of, of the way we do the surveys. But let's say conservatively, we kill about thirty thousand coyotes a year. Um, 
you know, if you put a bounty on them, you got to pay that bounty for that 30,000 that you're already killing every single year before you even kill the, the extra ones. So you're really taking and paying money out that would have you wouldn't have even had to pay to right. even gain anything. So I, I understand what you're saying there. It would it would really yep. not benefit it at all. And I I think a big impact that uh, my my perception on it is we're running out of areas that I can hunt coyotes in, and it's because of the influx of you know building or you know private land uh, ownership and which they don't allow you to get on there and. Anybody that's hunted coyotes, you want to be able to see them from a long way. You can't necessarily hunt them in the timber, and you can, but it's it's pretty hard to get inside the wood line and you know call them in and trick them. And it is a very tricky game to play when you're calling coyotes or any kind of predator because they, hands down, one of the smartest animals I've ever tried to hunt. And uh-huh. I think with a lot of the areas that are getting built up, especially in Cherokee County where we're at, it's building it up, and you've got subdivisions that may have a land lot in there of 20 acres on the back side of it. Well, 20 acres, you could have a den on that 20 acre that could you know, feed off into the neighboring areas or farms, and you never even see those coyotes, and they're killing deer, they're taking rabbits, whatever. But the trapping going into that, I think the trapping numbers have came down, and I'm sure you've seen this over the years. Is it because of the cost of the pelts? They're just not worth anything anymore. Yeah, that's it. The fur market in the U.S. is gone. Um, most uh, most of the furs that are even taken in the U.S. are shipped out of the country, but our, our domestic fur market just collapsed. Um, it fell out of favor with, uh, with fashion and... So it just tanked. I mean, the last heyday was in the 80s, and it was just kind of a precipitous decline ever since. So it's really limited our, our, our effectiveness of, of control over not just coyotes, but our, our fur-bearing species like you know, raccoons and foxes and stuff like that. It's, uh, you know, we've, we've lost that really as a management tool. And now, you know, instead of allowing a trapper to come trap for certain species on your property, it's, it's kind of flip-flops in that you've got to pay a trapper to come. Yeah, absolutely. And, and there's, trap your property. there's hunting clubs everywhere that are doing it. So going off of trapping, are you seeing, you know, um, on, and you're in Coweta County, which is, is that middle Georgia? No, well, I'm, I'm from Coweta County. I, I work in social circle at our headquarters okay. office in Walton County. So from there, Trapping and and I want to go into the feral hog talk and we don't have a you know, that's probably the biggest nuisance to Georgia now res guess isn't it yeah uh, definitely from a from a habitat standpoint we you know coyotes are a little easier to deal with and that we can reduce our you know we can reduce our doe harvest and account for that and and coyotes don't tear up farm ground <laughs> right <laughs> or so they, destroy they, they eat some watermelons but you know yeah. <laughs> that's about not it. typically How, an agricultural pest are you are you starting to see more ho- i know hogs have kind of been we're we're up in north georgia we've had hogs you know pass it, through pass and, through but we're not like we're not like middle georgia or southern part have you are you seeing the numbers increase on the northern part you know, I think uh, I think there's there's probably some changes in distribution, but I think overall our our, our hog population is fairly stable. It, I, I don't tend to see um, much fluctuation in in hog harvest, but again, you know, hogs are very similar to uh, coyotes in that we don't have a lot of data input. Um, 
we don't really aren't really able to get at the numbers that are that are caught by trappers. Uh, we really tend to our, our most stable number to really monitor trends off of is really our incidental take while deer hunting. So um, we don't really have a a complete statewide harvest estimate that's really that I that I would have a lot of confidence in, but. You know, we can look at it's it's a lot better numbers than what we see with coyotes. So we, you know, we can actually, you know, look and say, yeah, it's stable, or yeah, it's increasing or decreasing. So take us through, uh, Charlie. You know, I, I know fifteen years in the in the I guess the business per se that that's got to put you around. Are you? I guess you're around forty year old and. 42. So, so forty two. <laughs> so forty uh, two. So you're not you're you're right about our age. We're in our mid thirties. So. Take me through from, and judging from your, your bio here, you're an avid hunter and an avid fisherman. Take me back to, you know, and I always ask this, take me back to, you know, your early days of hunting and, and really what got you into it. Because we could sit here all night and talk about, well, you know, the man as a career, but I want to know a little bit about Charlie Killmaster as a, you know, as a hunter too. Yeah, so uh, I wasn't much of a hunter when I was a kid. Um, I was... Uh, you know, I was I went hunting with some friends. I went deer hunting a few times. Went small game hunting. Did a whole lot of you know running around in the backyard, killing stuff with a pellet gun, like most kids. Um, and uh, I was uh, I was in Boy Scouts. That was probably my biggest driving thing to the outdoors. Uh, Eagle Scout. So, um, and I, I had an interest in the outdoors and wildlife in general, not necessarily from a hunting standpoint. And um, it wasn't really until I got into college and started working at the deer research facility and kind of the first time, I, you know, we had to sedate the deer and, you know, do some research work with it. That, and I put my hands on that live deer. That's kind of what, what uh, shifted me. So I'm what, what we like to call in the business an, an adult onset hunter. Okay. So I got, uh, I got started heavy into hunting uh, in my, in my early twenties and, you know, it's, it's gone from there to, you know, where my life completely revolves around it. It's what I do at work. It's what I do when I get off work. So. Yeah. And, and I, I guess that's, that's interesting because we've had several people on and we hadn't had anybody that really got into it late, you know, late on in life. And so since the early twenties till now, you know, what's been the, the biggest changes you've saw as far as, you know, the hunting community goes. Yeah. So when I started my career, um, in the mid two thousands, the, the people that, that my cohort were replacing had spent the last part of their career trying their best to convince people that we that we needed to kill more does because we did need to kill more does. Right. And and we were at an inflection point where we were finally getting southeastern deer populations under control. And what we didn't realize at the time, because it wasn't apparent then in the data, was that coyotes were really starting to spread and take an impact or make, an, make a measurable impact on deer populations. If you look at this metric that we call the fawn recruitment rate, it's basically the number of fawns per adult doe that make it to, uh, to, to age, they make it to hunting season. That's our major metric of productivity of the population. 
and it's really erratic. It jumps up and down every year. There's annual fluctuations to the habitat, to be predation related. And there was so much up and down in that data that we had to get a few years past when those declines really started to take effect before we could see the trends. And we really started getting involved in the coyote and deer research game around the time I started my career. And um, so that was probably the biggest change. And then getting, you know, getting people transitioned into from killing every day you see to killing the appropriate number of deer for the property. And, and that's a harder sell uh, because, you know, people say, well, I only kill two or three, but if you've got five guys killing two or three and you're hunting on 150 acres, you don't realize it, but you're over, over hunting that population. So, so that's when right. that's right, that's, um, do you, with that being said, do you see in the future, maybe the next 10 years, do you see us going from 12 deer a year back down to just say six deer? Possibly. Uh, here's the thing. Uh, the bag limit has been a, a, a point of contention uh, for years, my whole career. Um, it was increased to 10 and 2 the way it is now uh, in state law in 2002. And unlike all other species, uh, at the time when they changed that, they removed the authority for DNR to regulate it within that 10. So DNR had no authority. The DNR board had no authority to reduce that bag limit. And we've been working on a number of legislative things over the last few years to kind of regain that that flexibility to adjust that. And some of that is tied into our deer management assistance program as well. But um, in in the interim, we've had to take other means to reduce the doe harvest, and that that's by reducing those that that number of either sex days. So our, our number our things that we use to control deer harvest are the bag limit, the number and timing in particular of either sex days and the season length. Um, we didn't really want to shorten seasons because people like long seasons. And so yeah. we didn't have control over the bag limit. So that left the either sex days. And we were effectively able to reduce the doe harvest to where we needed it to be by reducing those doe days. But at some point, I would like to transition that from, you know, back back to either sex and and maybe look at reducing the bag limit to simplify things a little bit. That that was actually going to be my next question was one of the points you brought up about shortening the deer season. If, if that was ever brought up or if it was just agreed on by hunters that they enjoy the longer season. Yeah, the problem is we have a rut in our state that ranges from mid-October to, in some cases, in certain counties into January. That's right. So unless we want to cut up the state into a bunch of different zones and have different start and stop dates based on the rut for those zones, uh, we've got to have a long season to accommodate all all of that variability. And some states do go the zone route, but... uh, the sentiment of our hunters over the years has been to to have as many rules kind of apply statewide as possible within biological reasons. So if you look at that either sex days map, we do have to zone our doe, our doe harvest and our doe regulations. 
but when it comes to overall deer season, uh, it is, you know, at the same start date from, you know, for, for the entire state. That's correct. That's correct. Um, Charlie, I got one more thing about deer. Um, mm-hmm. And I've recently heard this on the news about some of these suburban areas talking about shutting down bow hunting. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so it sounds like you've heard about some of these areas too. Has that been a big impact of suburban hunting now that it's got so popular? Uh, well, here's the thing. Uh, they don't have the legal authority to regulate hunting. Only that power rests solely with the state. So any, um, any county or municipality that tries to specifically regulate hunting, um, is that would actually be in violation of state law. Um, now what we try to do is when we, when we see them trying to pass ordinances that regulate archery, uh, we try to work with them and help them craft ordinances that meet their public safety concerns that, that their constituents have that, that don't impact the ability of hunters to hunt. So we've, we've been, um, you know, involved in a lot of those. So, um, well, in here and there. But sometimes we don't know about it until, you know, we don't know that they're intended to do something until it hits the media that they're proposing a change. <laughs> well, then, then we start a conversation with them and try to try to work with them to uh, to deal with those issues. Yeah, and when it comes to the media, you know, we get such a negative negative connotation in everything we do as outdoorsmen. It doesn't matter if you're you're a hunter or trapper or whatever. Nobody wants to look at the at the impact that it would have on everything that most people enjoy in their day-to-day lives as far as what, you know, conservation efforts that the DNR along with hunters put into the, you know, the WMAs, the national parks, the funding that comes from licensing, et cetera, et cetera. And then they don't look at the, their insurance costs going through the roof when deer in these areas are overpopulated or they become, you know, uh, a depredation to themselves because they're, they're infected or whatever it may be. And, um, I definitely appreciate all the efforts that the, you know, conservation uh, management programs that the state of Georgia put into place. That's that's definitely something that's – it goes unnoticed, and, and you guys don't get, you know, thanked enough for the efforts you, you put in. It's always it's always looked at as you see the, the green truck pulling up that it's, oh, God, I'm going to be in trouble. And, and if, you're, if you're not doing anything wrong, you're not going to be in trouble. You Some of the best people I've met up in this area as far as – um hunters go are our wardens um retired warden up here david phillips and uh mike klein and, and bill klein that's uh since passed away he was you know with the department of natural resources for a long time those are all great friends of mine and i've always looked at it like i i'm not scared to talk to the warden i'm not doing anything wrong so we definitely appreciate all the stuff that you guys are putting into effect with with for the state because you don't get recognized enough for sure well, i appreciate that but it's you know with our with our urban thing, I I think there are great things to come. Just last year, we we uh, created a new urban wildlife program, so we have a team of folks that are working mainly in the Atlanta metropolitan area to deal with wildlife issues, and urban deer management is a big part of that. And it's something that that I've never really had time to adequately address. And now that we've got a great team of folks there we can really start to engage some of these, uh, and, and in particular, some of these um, water authorities or municipalities that have government-owned land that's being a, becoming a source for deer vehicle collisions 
and trying to get some public hunting opportunities into those areas. So spawning off, you know, the, the, what's going on in the, um, uh, I guess the urban environment and the deer populations being congregated more together. We all know hearing on the news and hunting throughout the Midwest, CWD, chronic wasting. Mm-hmm. It's become a, a topic for argument or, or whatever it may be or discussion. I won't say argument. Wherever we go, and, and I hunt in Iowa, I hunt in Illinois, we go to Kentucky, you know, we've spent time in Kansas. It's, it's everywhere we go now. Fortunately, the state of Georgia hasn't seen a case of that in quite a while, correct? Or have they seen one at all? We have never seen one in the state of Georgia, thank goodness. So with the efforts put forth, you know, transmitting brain matter, spinal tissue across state lines, is that a big impact, or is this something that's going to come into play down the road with the more deer we see, you know, congregated in areas, or is it something that it is, it's not, how, what's the worry of the state of Georgia for chronic wasting, I guess is what I'm trying to ask. Movement of live deer, hands down, is the primary concern that we have and the primary way, mechanism that it's gotten transmitted around the country. We know that it can be transmitted by uh, movement of carcass parts, but it doesn't appear that that's a major uh, a major source for uh, for new infections. Most uh, most all of the new infections in states are at, at the very least there's some sort of smoking gun that's tied back to the movement of live deer. Deer and. Sorry, uh, I was just going to say ahead. deer farms or whatever it may be that are transmitting game. That's right, and that's you know it 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 came to us from captivity uh, deer that got into the captive industry early on, um, and so it's uh, you know it it happened and it got out and it got spread long before anybody even knew what it was in the 1960s, and um, so it's just a you know it's just kind of a mess, honestly. But these carcass restrictions, you know, we know it's possible. So it's one of those things where we we don't have a good grasp on what the actual risk is to uh, introducing it into a new state. But with the, the repercussions of it, the fact that it is something that is there to stay once you get it, that we're, we're doing things out of an abundance of caution and in some cases a lack of adequate information, in order to prevent something that we can't undo once it's done. Yeah, and that's that kind of spawns, or, or I guess gets me into my, my next question, which um, came from one of our shooting you straight uh, questions we post on our Facebook page. And Zach Sims proposed the question that if a deer is affected with or infected with chronic wasting, is that meat then tainted? And is that something that would be of concern for someone coming from the Midwest? Well, so that there, there's here's the two concerns with chronic wasting disease. We've got enough uh, data and lo- long-term data to know that um, over time, um, populations with chronic wasting disease will start a slow decline under normal hunting pressure, and and may uh, have issues even supporting hunting in the in the distant future. So there's a popu- uh, you know, there's a population concern about it, you know, reducing populations to where you can't hunt them anymore. Right. 
the other concern is the human health issue. Um, we Chronic wasting disease has never been documented to across the species barrier into humans. It's never There's never been a human case. But due to the similarity of this disease to mad cow disease that was a big issue in Europe in the, in the 1990s, yep. um, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a real cause for concern. So um, right now, the, the CDC recommendations are to, if you hunt in an area known to have chronic wasting disease, that you, that you don't, you know, and we're talking like an endemic zone, a disease management area. Right. Most every state that has it, you'll know by their regulations if you're in a disease management area. And if you hunt in one of those areas, they recommend that you have a deer tested before you eat it. And if it tests positive, they recommend that you don't eat it. Okay. Um, I've done that. I've, uh, I hunted uh, elk in a zone in Colorado that, that had had a positive case in mule deer before. And um, so I had my elk tested before, uh, before we ate it. And um, luckily the two elk that I've been lucky enough to kill, I, uh, didn't have to, you know, didn't have to discard anything. They both came back negative. So how was that for you, Charlie, going from a, you know, back to your hunting side of things, going out, you know. Oh, you Georgia, could, a Georgia boy going yeah, out. Yeah, Georgia boy going out. You were the big deer hunter here. You're going out west. How was that? You know, was that a big, big shock to the system? Uh, Well, you know, I've been out west a number of times. Just had never hunted out there. Right. I've been, I've hunted, you know, I've been to Canada. I've hunted in Alaska, fished in Alaska. So I've been around, uh, not used to that topography. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm a little out of shape, but, uh, I did pretty well for, you know, somebody middle-aged, I, I have to say, um, that gives hope. That gives hope for us yeah. boys over here then. Yeah, so, uh, but no, I, you know, it, it's crazy that, uh, you know, three, three guys, me and my two hunting buddies, we went out there the first year, never hunted out before. Went out on public land by ourselves and those guys, and all three killed an elk. <laughs> that um, is awesome. Yes. Yeah, but you know, I, I applied science to the process. I whittled down the the zone that I needed to get to that had a hundred percent chance of drawing, with zero points that had the highest hunter success on on a either sex elk tag, and so that was the maximum amount of opportunity we could get without a long drawing. And then we went out there, we flew out there in advance to scout. And the first thing I did was go by the region office and sit down with a biologist out there and lay out a map and get his advice. I can't tell you how many people I've done that for our public lands in Georgia, you know, just giving advice on how to hunt public land and where to go and tips on that. And I know after offering that to hunters over the years, I knew that, uh, that they would be amenable to it out there and, they didn't disappoint, you know, the biologists, you know, kind of gave us ground truth, the areas for us and said, yeah, you don't want to go over here. You want to kind of look for this, you want to look for this. And, and, uh, it, it worked out for us. So that's a, that's a great idea, Charlie. We got some guys interested in doing some elk hunting, so that'll be good for them. Um, was that bow hunter, um, gun hunting? No, it was, uh, it was rifle season. Um, I've kind of, since I had kids, I kind of, kind of gave up the bow hunt and I need something a little bit more efficient. Than that. <laughs> right. right. Got to keep I, them fed. Yeah. I don't, I don't want 
I don't want to have to wait to get a deer in 30 yards. <laughs> if I see one at 100 yards, I want to kill it. That's right. <laughs> so you went out to, you know, the to the western area and hunted, and, and you came back to Georgia, and, and judging from your bio here, it looks like you guys eat a, eat a lot of deer meat and, uh, and, and fish. I'm sure it's – Sure, mm-hmm. it goes without saying that you know you you take a, a deer. Do you process it yourself, or do you use a processor? I process it all myself. Um, I, and I was cursing that decision uh, the the weekend after the last weekend of hunting season when I was cutting up three deer all at once, and I was <laughs> about nine hours in that Saturday. I, I, I was lucky lucky enough to let them hang for a week, and uh, so yeah. Uh, I love processing. I hate processing three at one time, though. Yeah, it makes for a, a chore, especially now your daughters. That you, you've got two daughters, correct? Yep. And yep. Th- both of them, do they? You know, they, they get involved in the outdoor as with yeah, you. Yeah, I take them. They're not shooting um, centerfire rifles yet, um, but I, uh, I I I take both of them with me deer hunting. Um, wasn't really planning to. I figured I'd start them out squirrel hunting, but they me to go deer hunting and they don't seem to get bored so I, I take them along for the for the ride and then we you know we do we do squirrel hunting in the backyard but we do a ton of fishing so it's just a you know with them younger like that fishing is just a whole lot easier well that's great charlie and and like we said you know there's there's a hundred different things that we could get on here and talk about with and and i hope that we can get you back on as the advancements in the legislation or the rule changes that are coming forth you know we're we're a growing audience here and and i definitely would love for our audience and and anyone out there that could get information from the dnr and get it directly from a source such as a podcast or on social media or whatever. We would love to be able to share any of that information for, for you guys that you can pass along as it comes about instead of just, you know, hearing about it hearsay, we would love to be able to, you know, partner up with you guys in any way we can to assist in that. Cause we want to see our deer population increase and we want to see our Turkey population and just the overall aspect of the outdoors, making it better for, for our children coming along to have the future there and you know it goes without saying um the contributions that you and the the dnr and the rest of the officers are making out there with the research and everything it's it's immeasurable as far as value goes and um we definitely hope that we can continue you know to develop a relationship with you over the next couple of months and years down the road where we can hey may even do some fishing or hunting together if you get up this way if you you want to get on some fish i can definitely put you on those and maybe we can put you on a turkey or something Sounds good. Yeah, I'd love to do that. Yeah, I I, I like the podcast format. Um, it's uh, I'm happy to do it. You know, it's uh, um, I've done a number of them over the years, and I, I don't mind it at all. Yeah, it's a great it's My a great pleasure. way to reach out to people. Um, Charlie, we're as we're wrapping up here. We kind of always ask people: Is there anything you kind of want to any kind of shout outs you want to give anybody or or most? I mean, this kind of came to me today. And your role that you play for Georgia, what is what is something that you that we feel like that we should share with the up and coming hunters that you've learned along the ways that you could share that might spark them to try something different or a regret that you may have that you do now or help me out, Alex. How am I trying to get that out? <laughs> Just wanting to know what you're most thankful for, Charlie, as yeah. far as what hunting's taught you and uh, you know what what kind of information you'd you know you'd like to share for the for the people out there that may be up and coming and trying to get into hunting 
Yeah, I, I, I think uh, I think utilizing uh, our wildlife resources that we have in Georgia, we've got so much variety here with uh, all these different uh, species of uh, mammals, fish, and birds, and stuff that you can eat. And uh, that's I've been on a quest the last several years to really uh, explore and um, just kind of a, I guess, a culinary journey, if you will. And it's um, you a meat you know, eater I've now, Charlie? To, what's that? <laughs> You're a meat eater now, Charlie? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I've gotten some inspiration there, but it's been so fun for me to introduce people to hunting. Uh, just just by having people over for dinner, people that had never hunted before, never eaten wild game before, or had eaten wild game before and had a real bad experience with it, and and showing them how good it can really be. And uh, I took uh, I took a friend of mine uh, hunting for the first time. He killed his first deer last year, and he's forty eight years old. So it's those kind of things that uh, don't overlook getting another adult into hunting. I, I know. You know, we love to get the kids into it and stuff like that. But, the, you know, if you take an adult and get them inspired, an adult can go out and buy their own gun. They can buy their own camo and they can find a place to hunt and then they can get their kids into it. It's You'll have a lot more success at recruiting a hunter if you can get, if you have somebody that's got the avenue, the means to do it. And if you take a kid that's whose parents don't hunt and you're not taking those parents with them, you're not going to really recruit that kid. Yeah, that's, that's awesome right. advice great, there. Great, great answer, Charlie, and I appreciate you um, saying those things, and I appreciate you coming on. I'm going to let Alex wrap it up, and I appreciate you coming on, man, and I'll be talking to you soon, and we'll try to get – I'll get in touch with you about Emily, about getting mm-hmm. her on so um, we're close to turkey season. Sounds great. Yeah, as Nick said, Charlie, we can't thank you enough for coming on. You know, the partnership that we as individual hunters, it, it's – it's got to be a win-win for for you and I, as far as the the biologists in the region and the DNR uh, officers that are in the field. It's going to be something that, you know, we need to continue to work on to work more towards, uh, you know, a better goal uh, and I guess a better understanding of you know what you guys are facing out there because there's not that many of you compared to the number of hunters and I'd hate to know the actual number because there's a lot lot more hunters out there than there are of you guys and the more more that we can do to help you out and you know and reach a bigger audience for for success that's just going to help the whole the whole state as it as it goes into the future so um like I said I can't thank you enough for coming on and um it, it, I'm sure we'll be talking to you talking to you real soon My pleasure y'all uh, y'all holler at me anytime All right thanks very much Charlie Thank you. All right. Bye-bye. All right, everybody. That was Charlie Kilmaster, Deer Management Assistant Program Supervisor, uh, State Deer Biologist. Uh, Charlie, you know, he came uh, into fruition for Nick. Uh, you just reached out to him. Um, I did. How yeah. did you How did you find him? I just got on the Georgia DNR website and uh, found him on there and emailed him. And he's like he said, he's a, he's a very busy man. And he was able to email me back in a couple of weeks. And we got hooked up and talked yeah, to him. Yeah, and, so and he's and, got a – He's got a couple people that work with him or work under him. Um, I believe her name's Emily. I know her first name's Emily. Yeah. And she's uh, she's going to come on here very soon, and we're going to talk about turkey hunting. Um, yeah, and I've got some questions that I've come come to think of as, a, you know. Not just turkey hunting. Right, no, yeah, but we're talking talk about, about regulations the and the numbers and everything that's coming up for Georgia and the numbers that we may see. Yeah, and, and you know, as Charlie went through going out west, he, he reached out to a biologist there. Anybody out there listening, you know, 
I know, I know in our future or in our hunting careers, it doesn't matter who it was. When you saw the game more than you was like, oh God, because you thought you know you're just gonna be in trouble for something. And it doesn't have to be like that. I mean, these guys are hunters, they're they're outdoorsmen just like we are, and they're willing to help. I know we reached out to the uh in Illinois. I called up there and Cody called up there and we talked to the local uh biologist that was in the area we were in. And he was more than happy to, you know, hey, come by the office and see us while y'all are here. You know, if you can catch us while we're here, we'd be glad to talk to you. So if you're thinking about going to another state, look at that as a resource. You know, I reached out to several people when I was looking to go uh, to the state of Missouri hunting several years back. And I reached out to one of the local offices there. And there was a lady I actually got to talking to her and actually got in touch with her husband. He worked for the DNR too. And he sent me books and maps and all kinds of things. I, the trip didn't come to fruition for me, but it just goes to show you the hunting community. It doesn't matter if they're on the on they're the law side. They're not bad guys. are there to help you. Yeah, I mean they are, and and they 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 serve a purpose just like we as as outdoorsmen do. They're here to protect us. And what he's saying with the you know urban areas and, and what they're trying to do we need to be as much on their side as we can and help them out as much as That's we right. can because right. because i'm 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 excited for the future of deer hunting and i'm excited for the future of this program and what we can deliver out as far as information goes because there's a lot of information that we don't get to i don't know i mean because i'm it's hard to sit and read a whole regulation book i mean but if we can get those little nuances or little key notes that they're putting out there and i'll tell you something you better get out and vote, period. And I'm not going to go into politics. We've already said we're not going to be a political platform. But you see it right there. You don't want 10 and 2? Yeah. You better go vote because That's it's right. in the legislation's hands, out of DNR's hands. And I would be curious to research that. And, and I'm, I made a note, mental note that I'm going to do some research into when that actually took place, whether it was you know, in recent history that the DNR lost control over. And, and I see it in legislation when I go to vote. You see – um, deer, whatever, uh, as part of their platform that they're on, and people don't look at it as being something that's that important. But realistically, it is to me, and I know it yeah. is to you and anybody out there listening to this. So, I'm glad to hear him. You know, mention that chronic wasting is not a threat to the state of Georgia right now. There's no active confirmed cases. Nope. Um, that was a good thing, and and you know, there's there's a lot to lot that we can learn from Charlie and Emily and any of the other you know uh, biologists or officers out there. I'd yeah. I'd love to hear some stories uh, from maybe I, I know he's a biologist, but I'm sure he could put us in touch with an officer out there i'd like to hear some of them good old boy stories how they you know get into a camp or whatever i'd they may not be able to throw names around but i'd love to hear some of those stories that they could tell and say yeah we caught this old boy blah 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 and you know they used to have that thing in the back of the g-o-n i don't know if they still do do they the hall of shame yeah they always still there yeah and i'm sure some of those stories yeah. on there could get really interesting so i'd be kind of neat to kind of neat to see that side of it i'm I would probably be shocked to hear some of the people's names and we'd be hearing a story like, oh, God, I know who that was. So, But, you know, he was as friendly a guy as we could ask for and, and you know, definitely an outdoorsman all the way around. So, uh, Charlie Killmaster, we can't thank you enough for coming on tonight and we can't thank you, everybody enough for tuning in with us. Um, it don't look like we're getting a shorter deer season. No, no. So it looks like we're keeping the deer season. Deer season staying the same. Deer yep. numbers are staying the same. You know, yep. there's some changes to the turkey regulations that they have been may, proposed. may lower the – Deer countdown, it sounds like, maybe in the future if we... Well, they may limit the lower the number of doe days. Right, right, right. You know, antler, yeah. antler, yeah. antlerless days, you're not going to have as many days to take, you know, antlerless right. deer, which 
my, I myself, I, I can't eat 10 deer, so I ain't taking 10 yeah. deer or 12, you know, yeah. I can't, I can't eat that many deer. And so I don't have any, any desire to take that many. So, but you know, they'll also, like he said at the beginning, they'll also come to your land too and kind of help you manage that. So, you know, reach out to them if you, if you're having problems with something or just want some ideas. Well, he gave a He's, key point that I had never really thought about and that's canopy. Canopy, yeah, because these, like you said, these national forests won't let you cut that timber. Well, and going back to, you know, I hate to do it, but Jason Lewis <laughs> made example. Uh, he, when we ask about food plotting, yeah. you got to get sunlight down there and you got to clear out the yeah. upper canopy to get, you and know, somebody a had, we had a shooting straight question a couple weeks ago about um, talking about some. I don't remember the gentleman's name, but he was asking about land improvement. And there's yeah. a key thing go yeah. out and open up the canopy. Yeah. I know, yeah. I know they talk about hinge cutting. You know, I've seen that a lot in the Midwest and, I've never done any hinge cutting where you cut the tree over and it stays live so it's feeding deer on the ground. But you think about it, it's great to have big, tall, pretty trees and it open is. woods everywhere, but if them deer ain't got nowhere to hide, they ain't got nothing to eat on the ground. That's right. That's hurting the population more than it's, it's got to be. And cutting timber. You go to Chattahoochee National Forest and the leaves fall off, you can see a country mile. Yeah, you can see a country mile and there's no undergrowth except mm-hmm. for old, uh, what is it, uh, thicket, laurel, thicket. laurel thickets yeah. everywhere. I mean, that's all you see. And the bears got the deer run out of them yeah so. well and i ain't never been one to want to eat a laurel bush anyway <laughs> no. i don't think deer would want to eat them because they're always so green usually where that stuff's at it's a steep i don't want to walk up it so. i guarantee you i don't so uh charlie can't thank you enough i hope you listen to the episode and i hope you get something out of it like we got from you we appreciate you coming on anybody out there that hears this we definitely want to hear from all of our you know fellow conservation officers we want to get you on and get you involved with us in any way we can for everybody out there at talk about it outdoors nation we appreciate you tuning in tonight it's only nick and i it's a little quiet in the studio it's kind of a somber appearance we got the lights cut down low we've got one spotlight over our head on we got deer heads behind us we dropped our apparel last week. Hope everybody got everything they wanted. If you didn't, we'll be coming out with it soon. And hopefully, you'll get to see. I, I got. I'm trying to talk on Nick into a photo shoot over here. He's gonna do a little modeling for us, kind of <laughs> fix that hair up, old school style, and uh, get it slicked back. Maybe we can. Maybe we can get that. We're on our way to 2,000. Very, very fastly approaching 1,500. When we get to 1,500 follows on our Facebook page, we're going to announce a big, big drop to get to 2,000 in the contest. As well, we did say we would do a contest for everyone that pre-ordered any apparel. We're going to be putting that together. I figure we drop that next next week on an episode. We'll get a live put together, and we'll put all the names in a hat, and we'll draw out and see who wins you know, a, a prize from that. That's fine. We're about to head out west. <laughs> huh? We're about to head out west. Who? We are. When? On the podcast. Oh, gosh. Almighty dang. I can't believe I forgot that. Y'all going to have to stay pump tuned. Pump brakes. Pump my brake. Wait, we made it an hour without a pump your brakes moment. We are going out west for the first trip. I ain't going to drop his name, but y'all going to like this guy. Tune into the next episode, and I promise you'll like it. Go over to all our social media platforms. Give us a like, a follow, any comments, questions, or anything you hey, got going se- on. Deer season's over. Get your kids out squirrel hunt, rabbit hunt. Fishing's about to get them get them rod and reels out and unspool them, spool them back up. Tune them tune them bushy tails up a little bit. Yeah, go out and I'm headed out. to Tennessee soon on a squirrel hunt. Yeah, it's that time. Get the kids out. Look for them soon to be sheds and well, it won't be long for that either. Nope. Gosh, we got so much stuff we got to cover. <laughs> you just mentioned like five different episodes we're gonna have to do. It's a busy time in the studio here at Talk About It Outdoors, and we couldn't do it without all our faithful listeners out there. So continue to listen alone, and we appreciate you tuning in tonight. Let us forget. 
nothing as we go. And don't forget, Mouth of Memories. <laughs>